The Church at Ross Bridge is a bridge to belonging, believing, and becoming in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message and visit our website at rossbridge.church. Friends, we welcome you to worship on the second Sunday of Advent 2022. Because of the capacity issues we're having today, uh, we're going to allow our children to remain in kids' worship through the end of the service. So those of you that have children there, you are required to pick them up after church. Um, can't leave them here. Uh, but we're just because it will make it a little bit more easy for those of us who are here to receive communion. We also want to remind you we have a 9 o'clock service um, that <laughs> typically has some room available in it. And what a lot of people don't know is that those who attend 9 o'clock get 10% off their tithe. So with that, um, especially during the high holy seasons of Advent and Lent, Um, It is good to to visit that early service. May we pray. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I grew up the second of five children, and my mother stayed at home until I was in middle school, and my father pastored a small church, and so most of the clothes that I wore were first bought and worn by someone else, Uh, most closely my older brother, who's four years older than me. But when I got to be in early middle school, I started to really care about the way that I was presenting myself, as we all do at that age. And there was nothing more that I wanted for the Christmas of 1993, I believe it was, possibly 94, than a black leather bomber jacket. This is the Michael Bolton series. (laughs) I had to have that thing, and I was real clear with my parents. You know, don't get me anything else. I don't care. Just everybody go in together if you have to. I've got to have this black leather. It's oversized, you know. And sure enough, on Christmas morning, went in, rushed in around the tree, and it was a little bit smaller of a gift, but I thought, well, maybe it's vacuum sealed. Or tore it open, and there it was. My parents had gotten me a black leather study Bible. <laughs> and you probably expect the preacher to be like, it's the greatest gift of all. It was not. <laughs> I didn't ask for a black leather study Bible. I asked for that Michael Bolton leather signature jacket. Thankfully, my dad's parents understood what was really important. They had been the ones to get the black leather jacket. And so I wore it with great pride for two to three winters until I finally kind of grew into it. I picked up on something a few weeks ago preparing for this series in the Gospel of Luke. Something I really had not given any thought or notice to before. And it kind of sent me on an investigative journey. It has to do with Jesus' clothing in Luke's gospel. This series, Christmas Foretold, is peeling back the layers of the story. Most any person, regardless of how devout or irreligious they may be, can look at a creche, a nativity, and they can identify the shepherds and the angel. They can identify the animals. They know who Mary and Joseph is, and certainly they know that it's baby Jesus there in the manger, but fewer people actually understand this is not just the celebration of the firstborn child in a sentimental way, and that all of his significance will become clear later in his life. No, no, no. The promise of God all the way back to Abraham in Genesis is being fulfilled in this night, and so there's a richness and an additional depth to the story when we start to understand the different clues that were given in the birth story of Jesus that remind us of God's work that He's been doing all along. We open worship today by reading from Luke chapter 2 in the King James Version, which ought to be a law that you can only read that section of Scripture in the King James Version. 
And it's the story of Mary and Joseph, her being great with child in the third trimester, going down to Joseph's home city of Bethlehem because there was a political census being required and they had to pay their taxes. And while they're there, Mary begins to have contractions and baby Jesus comes into the world. And Luke says that he was born and wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Here's where the story picks up from where we stopped reading. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Most depictions of this story are pretty much the same. I've happened upon a Chinese artist named He Kai, who has a unique gift for picking up the subtleties in the text. This is his rendering of a painting called Nativity. Mary there, wrapped in pink, is cradling the baby Jesus in her arms. She's leaning over with her cheek against his newborn cheek. In the very foreground of the image are four lambs, which are kneeling there around the nativity scene, perhaps accompanying the shepherds. Perhaps he's foreshadowing there that Jesus will be the sacrificial lamb. There to the right of the image are two shepherds, and their attention is drawn heavenward, because above them in the sky is an angel that is bringing the declaration of Jesus' birth. If you were to zoom in on this image, you would see that Jesus has at the center of his presentation there a red, almost heart-looking object. But if you were to zoom in, you would see it's not a heart, it's an apple. Baby Jesus, there upon his bosom, an apple. Now in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's no mention of any fruit involved in the nativity. I believe Hekai might be saying that the first human, the first Adam, took a bite of the forbidden fruit and brought corruption and sin into the world. And the second Adam, as Paul calls Jesus, comes to bring a new opportunity for redemption for humanity. I love that he's taken the baby Jesus and given him alternating colors of blue and white for that which has bound him up. He's swaddled in bands of cloth. Whenever you're reading a biblical text, we've been studying this in our Through the Bible series on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Whenever you're reading a biblical text and the author seems to drop this unassociated, random detail into the text, sit up straight, pay attention because the author is trying to tell you something about the story at a little bit deeper level. And in reading this Luke chapter 2 story, What caught my attention is why Luke mentions that Jesus is born and before he's placed in a manger, he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. Luke says Jesus is wrapped in swaddling clothes. So I looked it up. 
What's this word swaddling? Does it mean something in the Greek? Is it a special word denoting Jesus' kingship or divine origin? No. It's just a Greek word, sparganu, and it means to wrap in cloth, to bind a newborn infant in strips of long cloth, and normal act of child care for warmth, security, etc. It's exactly what it sounds like. They bound up newborn babies very snug and tightly, just like we do in the 21st century. Reminds them of the security and warmth of the womb that they just left, and they're doing that with Jesus. This wasn't an unusual practice. It would have been unusual not to swaddle a baby. Why would Luke include this very minor, very boring detail? And he doesn't mention it just once when she actually gives birth, swaddles him, and places him in a manger. The angels included in their proclamation of the incarnation. In fact, verse 12, And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And if that's not enough emphasis on this detail, just a few verses later, after the shepherds have left, they turn to one another. And the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. In other words, they confirmed this specific detail exactly the way the angels said that they would. Made me wonder. What, there's clearly something here. Why does he go to such great lengths to emphasize what was a common practice at the time? In Israel, it can get into the lower 50s or upper 40s at nighttime. Of course he's swaddled to be kept warm and to be given a sense of security. On the one hand, I would understand if Luke was describing some sentimental article of family clothing. This is a picture of our firstborn son in May of 2008, the day he was born. He was visited by my wife's mother's mother. We laid her to rest just a few weeks ago. And this is the kind of picture you have in your family. When you have a new baby, the family, the generations gather to celebrate. And grandparents and great-grandparents have that feeling of fulfillment and contentment. Look at the joy on her face, just bubbling up from her heart. He's holding on to her fingers. She was her first great-grandchild. Not only did this happen in our family, but as a pastor, I often visit families who have newborn babies, sometimes in the hospital or sometimes in their homes. And I have yet to walk into a room where there's a newborn baby, and the mom or dad say, don't pay any attention to what she's wearing. It's an old dish towel. Or, don't pay any attention to what he's wearing. That's one of his dad's old undershirts. We just didn't have anything else handy. At the... No, no, no. This is baby's first outfit. It's been planned and selected for months. Competing grandmothers have jockeyed and <laughs> been manipulative and triangulated their children to see who could provide baby's first outfit. This must be made of hypoallergenic Irish linen, virgin wool from sheep who have appropriate boundaries embroidered by needle, washed, hand-washed in great-grandmother's tears, and then packed carefully in a custom box with dry sprigs of dried lavender. When the baby is born, they will make sure that it is brought to the room, and there will be great pageantry in adorning this child. It's a special, significant moment. You've done that kind of stuff. We do too. 
But we don't get any indication in Luke's story that it has anything to do with that at all. There's no mention of Mary hand-knit something to prepare for the child. There's no mention that, you know, on Joseph's side of the family that was given. There's no mention of grandparents showing up at the birth at all. They're not even mentioned. It is a simple, plain, functional detail. In fact, it doesn't show up anywhere else in the New Testament. It's not as though this is one of those little Greek words that plants a hint, and then that Greek word is, there's an aha moment later on when you understand what it really means. It's exactly what you think. So I began to wonder if this sparganu practice of swaddling a baby in clothes doesn't show up anywhere else. I wondered if the clothing of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke is significant in any other way. And what I found is that it absolutely is. The next time we hear about Jesus being clothed, Jesus being dressed, happens at Mount Tabor. This is a map of first century Israel. Most of Jesus' ministry takes place in the northern part of Israel, just north of that red arrow. He was raised in the city of Nazareth, which is about 40 miles to the southwest of the Sea of Galilee. Most of his ministry takes place in those little villages in and around the Sea of Galilee. But then in Matthew, in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus is just about to conclude his three years of earthly ministry in the north and begin to make his way south toward Jerusalem where he will be welcomed on Palm Sunday and then executed by Friday of that week, Jesus takes his three closest disciples on an extra little field trip. Of the 12 disciples, Jesus had an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And we hear about this remarkable encounter of Jesus' new kind of clothing in Luke chapter 9. This is a picture, by the way, of Mount Tabor. You can visit it today, and many from our church will be visiting it in about five weeks' time when we head to Israel. In Luke 9, he says, About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter and John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. This is a painting of this moment that we call the transfiguration. We learn about it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This particular rendering of this moment is the life's work of Raphael. He was one of the Renaissance painters who contributed to work in the Sistine Chapel. You probably recognize his name because along with Leonardo and Donatello, um, Michelangelo, they were together, the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Before they became the Ninja Turtles, they were Renaissance painters. And this is his, the culmination of his life's work. And you have in the foreground of this image the nine disciples. And then if you zoom in more closely on the second image, you can see that the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, 
are laid back on the top of Mount Tabor, kind of shielding themselves from the light and the power of God's holiness that is being shown down upon Jesus. To one side of Jesus is the greatest of the prophets, Elijah. To the other side of Jesus is the great lawgiver and liberator from slavery in Egypt, Moses. And in this moment, the divine glory of God is poured out on Jesus. And Luke says that his clothes were transformed. They were radiating God's glory and holiness in a way that the disciples have to shield their eyes from it. This sets the stage for a shocking statement that Jesus will make to his disciples. In this moment when they're associating him, not just with Moses and Elijah, but then the father speaks from heaven and clarifies, don't mistake my son for Moses and Elijah. He is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then Moses and Elijah disappear, a way of God saying, he is lifted high and lifted up as my son. Right after this, Jesus will begin his journey down to Jerusalem where he will enter with shouts of Hosanna on Sunday and be condemned to death with shouts of crucify him just five days later. This is God's glory. This is Jesus' new divine heavenly clothing and it's depicting him and the story tells that he's about to go and die. Well, on Friday of his week when he entered on Palm Sunday, he will breathe his last. And Jesus will give up his life having been publicly executed to the total shock and horror of all of his followers. They thought he was God's Messiah and now he's dead. Well, Luke tells us an interesting detail in chapter 23 about what happened to the breathless life and body of Jesus. Now there was a man named Joseph a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. The second time in the scriptures when Jesus is clothed by human hands is not at the swaddling moment of his birth, but in the funeral preparations following his death. But that was Friday. And on Sunday morning when those courageous women went to the tomb to anoint and adorn the body, to honor the body of Jesus, they found that it was empty. And they run back and tell the disciples and they believe that the women have made up a nonsensical tale. And so Peter, in verse 12 of chapter 24, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. The second time that Jesus is clothed in Luke's gospel, the power of his resurrection breaks the bonds of that linen wrapping of his funeral. About 1,700 years ago, 16 and a half, 1,700 years ago, there was a, an amazingly brilliant Christian thinker named St. Gregory Nazianzen who said that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes, but he took off the swathing bands of the grave by his rising again. The second set of clothes given to Jesus by human hands cannot contain him, for there is too much power in his resurrected body 
as his father called him forth from the grave in the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the amazing turn in the story. It's not just that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes as an infant. Not just that he was given divinely inspired new clothing at his transfiguration, wrapped in human clothing again at his death, and then leaves them behind at his resurrection. It's in the kind of clothing that he promises to his disciples later in chapter 24. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The only reference to Jesus offering clothes to anyone else in the Scriptures is a promise that the divine glory in which He has been draped will be shared with His church, with His followers. When I read that, I remembered a parable that Jesus told just about nine chapters before. You'll remember it. A father had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Dad, the only value you have to me is if you were dead and I were to get my share of your estate, mine inheritance. And the father, surely brokenhearted, gives the son his inheritance, and the son runs away to a foreign place, and he squanders it, wastes it, drives himself into poverty. And while he's sitting and eating with the pigs, thinks to himself, maybe I should go home and see if my father would hire me as a servant to work the land. And he gets up and makes his way home, but when his father sees him, he runs out to him. He calls for the, the servants to kill the fatted calf, turn on the music, give the son my ring because my son who was dead is now alive again. And it says he put a new robe on his son. It shouldn't surprise us that the clothing that Jesus promises to his disciples becomes the clothing worn by the most notorious, the most notorious enemy of the New Testament church, Saul of Tarsus, who when he is on his way to continue persecuting the church, has a radical life-changing encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Paul's life, who had been heading in one direction, is now radically forgiven and heads in another, pins a letter to the church at Galatia and says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you belong to Christ, then you are heirs, uh, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That detail from Luke in chapter 2, friends, at his birth, Jesus is given ordinary swaddling clothes. But later he will be clothed in that divine resurrection glory and then turns around and shares that divine glorified clothing with you and with me. Can I ask you, Christian, what are you wearing? What are you wearing? When other people look at you, 
and other people listen to you. Whose clothes do they see you wearing? I don't have any idea precisely where that leather jacket, the Michael Bolton Signature Series jacket, ended up. I think by the time I was in high school, it got sold for a few dollars at a garage sale. But friends, this, this Christmas season, when you peek into the nativity, I want you to pay attention to those swathing bands. If you will pay attention to what Jesus is wearing, you will see that it's in your color. It's a fabric in your color precisely. And Jesus Christ intends from the moment of his birth until the moment of his glory to give his hand-me-downs to you and me. May we pray. God, I confess to you that while I believe the promise of your scripture is true, that you desire to clothe your disciples, your men and women, boys and girls who follow you, you desire to clothe us in your power and with your image. I don't always remember that. And I act more often than I would like God out of my own humanity, my own weakness, my own reactivity to life circumstances. And so I pray today that you would help all of us renew our commitment to allow your spirit to clothe us with the image of Jesus Christ. That as we live in this world that is so full of darkness and pain and separation from one another, other people may see the clothing of Jesus Christ on his church. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. The church at Rossbridge is located in Birmingham, Alabama and helps people find abundant life in Jesus Christ.